All right, Psalm 61, guys. Uh, top two psalm for me. Uh, number one is probably Psalm 16. Uh, it's probably my favorite. It's just uh, Psalm 61 has been very, very helpful uh, to me personally. Uh, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 61. I also just want to mention that was a great time of prayer, guys. I've been actually kind of worried about that a little bit lately because a couple times we've had prayer. I know, listen, let's just be honest. Like, praying publicly, that's just an awkward thing. Like, it's, you go to churches, and when you find out they're, people are going to pray, you're like, hopefully I can go to the bathroom during that time of the worship service. It's a, it's a weird thing, but there's a reason why we do it. There's a reason why we do it. What we're trying to convey to you guys and almost everything we do here at King's Church on Sunday is that this is a participatory thing that we're doing. That God is the audience, right? And this is a participatory thing that we're doing to, to pray and to love and to sing and to hear and to do all of those things. And so let me just continue to encourage you guys during that time of prayer together when we gather together as a church. As, as frightening as it may be uh, to stand up and pray, to just keep leaning into that. Uh, because I think it's a beautiful expression for Him. Because He's the goal, all right? Uh, and also, just to just, I want to let you guys in on this. I've been hounding Josh for like weeks about how to hold the microphone, right? And it was just hilarious to me to watch him hold a not working microphone. But you were holding it correctly. Good boy. That a boy. So anyway, I just, <laughs> that was, I'm sorry, that was funny. I was, I was laughing over there. Couldn't help it. All right, so listen, one of the things we're going to talk about today is. Uh, last week we looked at Psalm 139, it wasn't last week, it was last time I preached, we looked at Psalm 139 under this banner of anxiety, okay, when anxiety attacks, what do we do? And in a very similar way, but different, today we're going to look at the theme of depression, okay, the sermon is, uh, the sermon title for today is Depression uh, Dissolved, and let me just say this, when you are having strong emotions on whatever side of the coin, uh, elation, right? Joy or depression, anxiety, hopelessness. The Psalms are your book. Uh, it's the place where if, if, you want, if you want to say how great God is and you're, you're struggling for the words, Psalms will help you. It's also the place when you say, I think God's a monster. Psalms are your book, okay? And uh, this psalm today is, is a beautiful psalm that, of King David as he cries out to God from a very scary, scary place. Okay? And so that's what we're going to look at uh, today. I don't know if you saw this in the news. Um, recently kind of upped my news game through podcasts. Praise the Lord. I finally found something that, that I will actually do every day to kind of get a daily intake of news. And I will say, about a couple weeks now uh, where I've had a regular intake of news and I'm kind of like caught up on current events and I'm probably more depressed now, right? I mean, I, so there's positives and negatives to that. But uh, one of the things I saw last week was that uh, last week a 13-year-old boy fell down a well uh, in, I forgot, I forgot which country it was, and we don't have a lot of these in America, at least not in South Carolina, that I've known of. This well was less, was smaller in diameter than a manhole cover, uh, and this little 13-year boy, and these things are like, could be hundreds of feet down. I think this one's 75 feet down, right? So imagine falling into a well that is, it is barely rounder than you are, 
okay, and falling all the way to the bottom, okay, and this, this little boy, he was 13 years old, he was stuck at the bottom of this well uh, for a long time, I, I don't even think you could fit a regular size beach ball uh, down, this, down this hole, um, and so he was stuck in there, and so it made me think, what's it got to feel like to be at the bottom of a well like that? I mean, you're struggling, you're str- you can't even barely lift your arms up, right? And, and you got nothing. You're yelling, you can't look, but it's, you know, the wells that we think about are pretty wide. You can at least walk around, right? But this well, he can't even move. It's got to be a pretty hopeless situation. You've got to be terrified, right? And hopeless, barely can see the light uh, at the top of the tunnel. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's probably a really good illustration of what depression feels like emotionally, right? When you're depressed emotionally, you feel like you're at the bottom of some shaft, and there's no way up, and there's, that light looks really far away, and you have no ability to move. Maybe another illustration that someone shared with me this week uh, about depression is it kind of feels like when you're in the ocean, if you've been in the ocean before, and it's just wave after wave of this deep emotional sadness. And the moment part of you dries off a little bit, there's just another one that just splashes over you. And to make things worse, you look out on the horizon thinking maybe that was the last wave, and all you see is white caps and humps. It's, it seems to be endless. Right? If, you've, if you've never felt depression before, if you're kind of just a happy-go-lucky person, uh, you will. Just give it some time. Life will get you. It does that to all of us. God is in the middle of all that. It doesn't feel like it when you're in the middle of it. Uh, but depression is a very real thing. And so the question that we need to ask this morning when we're looking at Psalm 61 is, what does God say we should do with our depression? How does depression dissolve? What's a good roadmap or pathway for that? It's a big deal. What does depression feel like? Uh, I've been depressed before. There's no joy. It's difficult to concentrate. You can't really put your mind on anything. Everything feels hopeless. You really don't have any self-esteem. You don't feel good about yourself. You can't sleep, but you got low energy. Things don't taste good. It's, you're not hungry, or maybe you, you eat a lot to try to comfort you. You either don't want to eat or you eat too much. Uh, your body just feels worse. There are aches and pains. There's just a lot of things that happens. This is a common thing in America. The Society for Anxiety and Depression uh, says that over 40 million adults in the United States, 18% of people 18 or years or older, so one in five, just thereabouts, suffer with it. It's a real deal. It's like being at the bottom of a well slowly sinking, trapped, and hopeless. So what should we do about it? Well, I'd like for you to see what David did about it. He's in a very similar situation. Psalm 61. To the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against, my, against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O Lord, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. 
Prolong the life of the king. May his, gener- may his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. The grass withers and the flower fades. but The word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have to talk about a heavy subject that you are prepared to deal with, that you have dealt with, and that you're not foreign to. So God, I pray that you would speak with the power of your spirit and use your word and use me as a broken vessel uh, to convey the only message of true hope that can dissolve depression forever. And I've asked this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Foster, could you hand me a bottle of water? I just actually saw that my little water bottle has mold on it. So if I pass out, Josh, you're up, all right? So, uh, all right, here we go. All right, so here's, here's, the, uh, here's, here's the big idea today, all right? The big idea for today is that depression, thanks, bro, depression dissolves in the face of eternal security. Depression dissolves in the face of eternal security. All right. So what we want, the cure to depression, I think this is true, uh, whether you're a believer or not, right? What you're looking for when you're depressed is hope. You look at, you're looking for what's going what's gonna to fix what's going on inside me or around me. And so what we want is hope that lasts. We want hope that we can latch on to, that can cipher through the mess that is surrounding us in this moment. Hope that is so bright, so thick, so real, that it grabs you by the arms and pulls you out of whatever pit that you're in. Here's a question. Where do you get a hope like that? All right, so we're going to look at four points today. Number one, the usefulness of depression. Number two, the hope of home. Number three, an old king. And number four, a daily song. So the first point this morning, the usefulness of depression. Look back with me at Psalm 61. Verses 1 and 2, we read these words. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Okay, I call to you when my heart is faint. David is in a place where he feels very far from God. He's very frustrated, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I just want to read the point again. Again, the heading for what we're talking about right now, these two verses, excuse me, is the usefulness of depression. Now, the first, the, the, here's how you should feel when I say that. That sounds stupid. Well, how in the world could depression be useful? How can it be useful? But I think that what I would challenge you on is to say this. What if your depression was showing you that you are putting your hope in something that is a lie? Would you want to be depressed if you could find out the truth? What if your depression was wanted to show you something that you needed to know before it was too late? Another way to ask the question is like this. Would you be willing to suffer for a better hope? And I think if we're honest, even though we don't like feeling that way right now, the answer is yes. Depression is useful because it exposes a foundation of sand that we are standing on. Martin Luther said this, 
that our basic problem is that we are turned in on ourselves. That's our basic problem. And so what happens in depression is you start doing this. And you start doing this. You go, you start, you're looking inside of yourself to find the hope. And, and you keep digging and you keep digging, but there's nothing there. You can't pull yourself out. Somebody needs to pull you out of the pit, and that is our basic problem. Our hopes, in many ways, are good things, but they can fail. Many of us put hopes in, in our children. We love them. We want them to turn out great. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Put our hopes in job security, money, health, entertainment, good looks, marriage, future, fame, success, power, safety. But here's the problem. Those things are just like the wind. The wind's got a mind of its own. It blows. Sometimes it blows. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you got these things. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's not. It's not a good hope. David has a real good reason to be depressed. Now, we don't know exactly the context of this specific psalm. And what I mean by that is, we don't know what exactly the episode in David's life he, that caused him to write this psalm. But we do know this, there are plenty to choose from. Okay? There are plenty to choose from in David's, in David's life. Okay? Uh, David's life is full of depressing moments. Okay? Let me just reference three of them. Okay? Three depressing moments uh, in David's life. The first one I'm going to call out of obscurity into the, lime, into the limelight back to the obscurity, all right? Out of the obscurity, into the limelight. So this is what happens to David. He's a, he's a young guy, and, uh, and someone comes to his house, and, and God tells him the king's going to come from this house, and his dad doesn't even invite him to the party, right? He says, David, you can't be the guy. He leaves him out. Ends up, David's a guy. He goes and defeats. This is the story everybody knows about David. He goes onto the battlefield and defeats this giant named Goliath. And then it's this wonderful thing. Israel defeats the Philistines. He gets to marry the king's daughter. And, and then he becomes a general in the king's army. And they have this little ditty that they sing about David. Okay, And it goes like this. Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousand. He's the man. And then his father-in-law tries to spear him to the wall, okay, and kicks him out of the kingdom, and he spends the, the good years of his life, his 20s and 30s, running away from God. It's depressing. How about this? Uh, he ends up getting his kingdom back, and he's bored, and he commits adultery, and the son or the, of the woman that he committed adultery with dies, and in the process, he... He kills her husband, murders him. You ever felt guilt before? You ever felt shame before? It's depressing. Or, after that, his son Absalom steals his throne, tries to kill his own daddy. That's depressing. And if you look at this psalm, pick an episode. One of those episodes. David says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. This is a desperate plea. Hear my cry. Listen to my desperation. Where does he feel? He feels like he's from the ends of the earth. Uh, he feels like he's as far as possible away from God. Look, this is a little side note, okay? 
when you feel furthest from the Lord is the best time to call on Him. Now, what you're going to feel, what you're going to think is, nah, He don't want to hear from me. But I'm just going to tell you, when you feel the furthest is when you might be the closest. So keep that away, because there's going to be plenty of times that you feel the furthest. But he feels so far, this is last-ditch effort, his heart is fall, his heart is faint. In other words, I'm lost, I have nowhere else to turn, I'm weak, I feel like I'm a million miles away. And what I would argue is that what he's feeling is useful. Because look what happens next. What you're going to see at the end of this psalm is a completely different man than was at the beginning of the psalm. And what happened, his depression leads him to someone. Okay? Number two, point number two, the hope of home. Look at the last half of verse two. Oh, this, this, is, this is where the money is right here. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shadow of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows, and you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. What he says is, I, 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 I got nothing. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. So when you think of a rock, what the, the imagery that he's pulling up on top here is the safety that there is on top of a mountain peak surrounded by stone. Okay? It's very difficult for the enemy to climb a mountain and get to you. Okay? So I'm a, I'm, a J, I'm a Tolkien fan. I love the Fellowship of the Ring and the Lord of the Rings and all that. And there's a scene in, in the Fellowship of the Rings where they are being chased by orcs and wolves. And the only shot they have is to climb up these trees. Okay? So they're looking down on the orcs and the wolves and they're in the trees. And then all of a sudden the trees catch on fire. And it's a hopeless situation. There's a cliff, there's a fire, there are werewolves. Doesn't look like a positive situation. And then in the middle of all that, these huge eagles fly by. They land on the eagles and they take them to their nest at the top of the mountains. That's what David's doing right now. He's saying, take me to the safe place. Lead me to the rock that isn't inside of me but that is higher than me. Lead me to the refuge. Uh, if, he's, if, if, he write, if he's writing this psalm when he's on the run from Saul, he's most likely hiding in a cave. Okay? He's hiding in a cave. And, and there's this, the, think about a cave as a refuge. There's strong walls all around you saying, lead me to a refuge. Lead me to a strong tower. Some place with strong walls. Now, Walls are all over the news, right? Immigrations, that's like, that's like everywhere. All we're talking about is immigration and walls and all kind of stuff. But particularly in the ancient kingdoms, walls are a big deal. If you're in a city, the walls are your protection. If you don't have any walls, then you, people can just come in and destroy you. In fact, so much of the, uh, of the Old Testament, specifically the book of Nehemiah, is about the walls are broken down. This is a tragedy. The imagery of this song is big, strong walls. Ain't nobody getting through. Big, strong gates latched with a beam three feet thick. Take me there because I feel vulnerable right now. Take me there because I feel hopeless. That's what David is looking for. 
He's looking for God. He's looking for the God who's delivered him in the past, and he's asking him to deliver him again. A safe refuge, a rock. And here's what I want you to see. I'm going to read it again. Look at verse 4. This is why I call this section the hope of home. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me make refuge under the shelter of your wings. Now, how good of a fortress is a tent? Not real good. Right? It's not a real good fortress. So why does David put that in this list? You got rock, you got cave, you got tower, you got tent. It doesn't seem to fit, right? Well, the reason he puts that there is because the imagery of the tent throughout the entire Bible is an imagery of God's presence. Okay? It's an imagery of God's presence. And the second thing he says is, let me, let me dwell under the, sh- under the shadow of your wings. Just like a bird, a chick, or uh, a chicken, or something like that, taking, taking her little chicks and guiding them. What, what's that picture of? Closeness and intimacy. What, God, what David is saying is, I'm not only longing for safety, I'm longing for home. I want someone who's going to love me. I want someone who's going to care about me. I want someone who's strong enough to protect me from everything else, even myself, and yet who can tenderly tuck me under his arms and hold me. That's the hope of home. David is, listen to this, he is looking beyond his circumstances. He is looking beyond his circumstances into the reality of who God is. Safe. Close. He's talking about hope. There is someone in the world whose love David desires more than anything else. And in light of these terrible circumstances, he can find home there. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, ha- however many years ago, uh, there was a job title that carried honor. Right? It was called a homemaker. Right? Oftentimes it was women, and they were called homemakers. Oftentimes now, whenever someone asks a lady who is a homemaker, what do you do? You have, I'm a homemaker. Right? In other words, because what it sounds like now is, I do nothing. Right? I, I sit around and drink coffee, or what, whatever. That's what it sounds like to people right now. But I want you to think about the value of a homemaker for a minute. Because that's exactly what this is a picture of. At the end of the day, when you're done slaying dragons and conquering the world, what do you want? Some place to go that's safe and warm. Right? At the end of the day, when you've been slayed by dragons and you've been conquered, what do you want? You want a home. And what David's doing in this moment is he's saying, everything I feel right now doesn't feel like home. I don't have anywhere else to turn but I know I have a home somewhere, okay? It's the hope of home, and I think if we're honest, this is what all of our hearts are longing for. We're all longing for home. But whenever we're depressed, the problem is it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it's ever going to come. In verse 5, God promises a heritage, right? An inheritance. This is the promises of God throughout the the whole Bible. And and he's promising these old people, he's promising land, and he's promising them prosperity, and he's promising themselves. And where David is in this moment is he doesn't feel like that's going to happen. He doesn't feel like that's going to happen. He feels like everything's been taken away from him. 
And what he's doing right now is dwelling on a hope that is safe, that is secure, that is prosperous, and a place where he can be known. Now, hopefully you heard what I just said, and the hope of home sounds good, but some of you may be feeling that sounds good, but it's a little pie in the sky. It's a little utopian. We all know we're old enough now. We know that a place like that really doesn't exist, right? It's good to hear now, maybe at Christmas time, but I'm not sure I can latch on to that. All right. Now let me add this is what, do y'all want to see the reality of this hope? Yes or no? All right, I'm asking you again do y'all want to see the reality of this hope? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, here's the reason why is because if you really want to see the reality of this hope, you're going to have to do some theology with me because this next verse is confusing as all get out. All right? So you're going to have to stay with me just for a minute. Listen, you know I'm not going to abuse you guys, all right? But you're going to have to stay with me for a minute so that I can show you the security of this hope. You ready? All right. Why is this hope secure? Because of an old king. Verses 6 and 7. David, in the middle of this prayer, interjects these two verses. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. At first glance, it feels like David's praying for himself, right? Listen, keep me alive, God. And I'm sure there's an element to that there. But it does seem a little strange when he talks about living forever. Because that ain't going to happen. So what exactly is going on in this verse? And, and this is where I need you to stay with me for a minute, okay? It, it, I think there may be an element of it where it's a, pre, a personal prayer for his life and the future generations that come after him, but I think there's so much more going on here. In fact, uh, whenever Jews look at this passage in something called the Aramaic Targum, which is kind of like the study Bible for Jews, if you will, all right, whenever they look at this this, these specific verses, they say that they are messianic verses. In other words, they are looking forward to a Messiah king. Someone who will come and make all things right. So here's what I need you to do with me for a minute. we got to talk about the theology of kingship. we got to talk about why this idea of kingship is so important in the Bible. So let's talk about it. The king was the center of the Israelite community. A long life for the king meant stability for the whole society. More important, the royal office had all kind of religious connotations that went with it. A king is one who sits on the throne, but he's really just a vice-regent for God. And his success is dependent upon his submission to God and his law. That's really important for you guys to understand. The original promise to get rid of sin is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and she shall bruise your head and, she, and you shall bruise her heel. So this is what it's saying. One day this sin problem is going to be solved and there's going to be an offspring and he's going to crush 
the serpent, and everything's going to be okay. All right, you still with me? And then what God does is he creates a people out of nothing. He chooses an old fart who's never had any kids, King Abraham, and he has all these generations through, the, through him, through someone who can't have kids, okay? So he builds his people through Abraham, and then he miraculously delivers them out of slavery. He promises them a land, and they get into the land, and they start building up their kingdom, and they think this thought, well, time for a king, okay? Time for a king. In Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 18, this is what we read about this king. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a book of the copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. In other words, he needs to handwrite his own copy of the Bible. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he will learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. Okay? So here, this is what this king is supposed to do. Handwrite a copy of the Bible, memorize it, live according to it. Is that what happened? Nope. Here's what they did. They found the biggest, strongest guy, and they said, you, be our king. Didn't work out real well. Okay? And then David comes on the scene. And then David comes on the scene. This is the promise that God makes to David. Stay with me. Okay? This is the promise that God makes to David. Okay? In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14, God says that the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the prince over his people. Okay? David was that man. And then he makes a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. All right? 2 Samuel chapter 7, longer passage, stay with me. All right? When your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. David, when you kick the bucket, your son, I'm going to be with him. Okay? Keeps going. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his kingdom forever. His kingdom is going to last forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will, decide, I will discipline him with the rods of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not, not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom, here we go, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. This is God's promise to David. Your throne will be established forever. Here's the problem. It didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't take but a few generations. And the whole thing fell apart. And whenever we get to the New Testament, there is no son of David. It's the Roman government that's in charge now. And the entire Israelite society is depressed because God didn't keep his word. There is no king. Now, if you're going to write a book, let me tell you just a little, little tip. If you're going to write a book, don't start it off with a genealogy. It's just bad practice. Okay? Don't start off your memoirs with a genealogy. But what's interesting is that's exactly how the New Testament starts off. Why? Why would you start a book off with a genealogy? In Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of the New Testament is making this one point that Jesus Christ 
is legally the son of David. And then in Luke chapter 3, there's another genealogy. What's up with the genealogies? And the whole point of that genealogy is to say that legally, Jesus is a son of the first man, Adam. Because this is what God's showing us in these strange genealogies. Is that all the promises that were made to David, and all the promises that were made in Genesis chapter 3, are coming to a head in this one man named Jesus Okay, And what David is praying is for this king who will make everything right. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33, y'all stay with me, trust me, Okay, stay with me. Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, we read these words. And behold, this is the promise of Gabriel to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, what's happening here in this prayer that David is praying, he's not just praying for his own skin, he's praying that one day there would come a king of his own line that would deliver his people forever. And what the New Testament is screaming out at the beginning of it is that this king is here. And then there's a problem. He doesn't do anything. He gathers this band of misfits. No one believes in him. And then he dies a criminal's death. Prayer didn't work. Except for three days later. He rose again from the dead. He walked out in front of hundreds of people. Performed more miracles. Taught some more things and then on a hill. A rock, a little bit later, in front of some people, said, I'll be back. And he rose again into heaven, and they watched him go. And he took his seat on the throne of the universe. The writer of Hebrews says about Jesus that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, cross, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Peter, words that we've already read this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again, listen, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You want to know why David was depressed? You want to know the ultimate reason why we are depressed? Is because our hopes aren't breathing. They're not breathing. Jesus Christ is the living hope. He died once, he will not die again. And when David is praying, he begins as a man whose heart is faint, who feels a million miles away from God. And he dwells in what God has promised, and he prays for a Messiah to come. 
the advantage that you have and that I have. And why your depression can dissolve in the face of eternal hope is because that has been secured by the son of David. And that there is a king, and he is the living hope. And that in light of that kind of security of this promise, because this is what he promised, he says, if you're mine, if you're mine, and I won't let you go, and it's impossible to snatch you out of my hand, it's a real old king, and that's good news. And then the last thing you see is the complete opposite. Verse 8 and verse 1 are complete opposites. He says, so I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Do you see the, tr the transition? Depression to hallelujah. Now, I know you guys. Some of you guys like to sing. Some of y'all don't. And you, you don't like to sing out loud. But we listen, when no one's looking and when you're in the car, you know, Shania Twain comes on, you know, something like that. Or when something really good happens to you, we all know you guys sing. And particularly when something's going on inside of you. That's what happens in Psalm 61. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's not a, a reason to go to a psychiatrist for depression. I'm not saying that there aren't other things like counseling that are helpful. It's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me when I say that. But I am saying this. That there is one hope that is breathing. And there is one hope that never dies. And in light of his face, depression dissolves. This, my friends, is your hope. Whenever you are depressed, maybe you are now, you will be if you're not. Run here. It is safe. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Amen? Father in heaven, we pause, collectively as a group, ask to be led to the rock that is higher than I. We need a strong refuge. We need someone who's going to tenderly take us under our wings. We need a hope that breathes and cannot die. Secure our hearts in you. Help us to worship and behold the King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.